This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield's out this week, but we do have a guest today. It's Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist from Mississippi State University. We're going to spread our wings today to talk about the birds we see this time of year. How do we attract more birds to our homes and yards? What are the best spots for bird watching in the state? And what should we be putting in our bird feeders? Join the conversation this morning with your comments, calls. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Or you can send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield is out this week, but we do have a guest in studio today. It's Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. So we're going to spread our wings this morning to talk about the birds we see this time of year. How do you attract more birds to your home or garden? Uh, what are the best spots for bird watching in the state, and what would, should you be putting in your bird feeder this time of year? You can join our conversation this morning with your questions and comments. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 or you can send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. Always a reminder, two chances to hear Creature Comforts each week. It airs Thursday mornings at 9 with the repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. I hope you both are doing well this morning. Good morning. Doing good. Doing good. You know, Dr. Major, I think last week we were talking about uh, fleas and mentioned that this was really a bad year for fleas. Um, do the do the cooler temperatures that usually come around this time of year sometimes help cut down on the flea population? And could some of the things that uh, bother our, our pets uh, be around a little bit longer because it's been so unseasonably warm? You know, every year is a bad year for fleas, especially if you have an infestation in your home or yard. Uh, your dogs and cats suffer because of that, and, and we may too. But uh, it has to get pretty cold to really have any any respite. Uh, we're talking about in the low 20s, uh, maybe for an extended period of time, which we rarely have. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. But fleas and mosquitoes, I might add, are, can be a problem year-round here in Mississippi. And uh, it's something to be aware of. And a lot of times, if you don't have a problem and going into the fall or winter, you may not have one if you discontinue any type of flea control. But in most cases, it's better to continue uh, with the flea control program year-round. Uh, because I imagine it's one of those things that uh, can quickly spiral out of control and, and as you said, become an infestation. So you want to uh, stay on top of it, as you're saying, uh, throughout the whole year. Right. I'm always amazed at some uh, some households that have never had a flea problem, and uh, they don't use flea control, but they haven't had the problem. 
So if they developed a problem, it would be, uh, you know, not horrific, but it could be severe. So I, I would say that uh, flea control year-round is, is important. So I mentioned our guest today is Adam Ronke, a wildlife biologist from Mississippi State University. Adam, good to have you back in studio with us. Thanks. I know. It's been uh, longer than I thought it was when I was looking at my notes. So the year flies. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the, the life of a wildlife biologist. What are the sorts of things that you do? Man, it seems like it's changing every every year. But uh, let's see, what have I been doing recently? I've been doing a lot of writing and hiding in a in a hole, trying to get some uh, publications done in the last couple uh, months. Uh, but um, yeah, it depends really in, in what field you're in, subfield you're in in wildlife biology. But uh, you can spend time in the in the morning in the field, and in the afternoon in the office, uh, working on data analysis, and then. That evening, giving a presentation to a local Audubon chapter, it really can uh, vary depending on the position you're in. But uh, particularly in the position I'm in with the extension service, it varies uh, drastically, which keeps you on your toes and keeps it interesting. So, um, But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, neat things that you can do in this uh, profession. You see a lot of things that people don't even know exist. So uh, if any young folks out there interested in a career, it's definitely something to, to consider. You get to see a lot of neat things. And I would imagine the, the field work, as you mentioned, is probably a big attraction for a lot of folks that are in that profession. What are, what are some of the things uh, that you would do in the field? Well, um, for just an example, since I'm a trained ornithologist, um, we do a lot of bird surveys. So I've worked with Nick Winstead at the museum, working with pipe, piping plover surveys down on the, the beaches in January, which is my time of year to go to the beach because I don't like the heat. So <laughs> being from New York, but, uh, um, you know, walking walking uh, uh, the islands out there on the coast uh, and, and count, doing a population count of the different uh, species of shorebirds. Uh, to where we're actually capturing animals and banding them um, and putting little satellite trackers on them and, and tracking them uh, through the satellite systems that we have now. Uh, to if you're a fisheries biologist, you're setting nets and traps and tagging fish to all sorts of things. Now, with all the technology that we have, um, we're even getting into the, the space where we're starting to use uh, drone technology hmm. uh, to help us uh, track these animals. I know they're using it a lot in open water uh, well research where they're using drones to track these animals and get imagery that we've never seen before. So it's it's uh, it's going to be totally different in the next 10, 15 years. Adam's our guest this uh, week. So uh, if you have questions about the type of birds we see in Mississippi this time of year, or if uh, you'd like to try to uh, attract some birds to your backyard, I think Adam can give you some good advice. Uh, the number to call, our phone lines are open, is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Adam, we mentioned the, the unseasonably warm weather that we've been having, and not just here in Mississippi, but in, in many parts of the country. Does that have um, an effect on, on bird populations and, and maybe where they go or, or their movements? It does. As biologists, we try to focus on long-term trends. Um, so annual fluctuations and even within the year fluctuations uh, do happen, and they are important with, with weather. But uh, um, we, as far as this year and what's taking place, particularly during the migration uh, time in the spring and the fall, uh, weather is very important because birds will use those those uh, weather fronts as aids to help move south. So this front that's coming through tonight, I believe, uh, anyone that's interested in birds, particularly uh, waterfowl like uh, 
snow geese, other, other uh, uh, species like that that are migrating south, it's a good time to uh, pay attention. Like we had the cold front a couple weeks ago, I believe, three weeks ago or so, and we had some early arrivals of snow geese in the delta flying over uh, overnight. Um, you could hear it with the, 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 the northern winds coming through. So anytime there's a big northern push uh, this time of year is when to start uh, birders get excited and start paying attention because things are going to use that to help them. You know, they don't have to put as much effort into the migrating um, with that backwind, so to speak. So, um, yeah, a lot of neat things can really uh, uh, take place uh, right now. Most of the warblers are, are starting to push through or have pushed through. Um, we have shorebirds that are moving in. It's extremely dry, so mm -hmm. that's another element. Um, so any place that does have water, uh, particularly our big reservoirs, uh, larger rivers that aren't dried up, that's where the birding is taking place and shorebirds because even I just drove over the Barnett last night coming back from Starkville, um, the shorelines are exposed, and there's a bunch of shorebirds working those shorelines because that's what they're looking for because a lot of these smaller mud flats out in the farmlands that they typically this time of year <laughs> work around in are completely dry. So anywhere there's water um, this time of year is a good time or a good place to, to identify for bird watching. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that the dryness is, is also a big deal. And I would imagine, too, again, if you're someone who wants to attract and, and give birds a nice uh, spot in your backyard, that uh, making sure that your bird baths or whatever, a good source Correct. of water is there. And uh, yep. uh, that will they'll they'll home in on that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll talk about that. Um, water in fall and winters. I just gave a presentation a couple of weeks ago on this. Uh, down in Brookhaven, water is more important really than anything this time of year and in the winter time, which most people don't think about. We always focus on seed or food that we provide for all wildlife, or particularly birds, but water is very important in the wintertime. So you mentioned that there are some, uh, the, this time of year, we always, I guess, have the birds that are kind of here year-round, but we do have the birds also that are uh, passing through in migration. You mentioned the warblers uh, and the, the shorebirds. What are some of the other birds uh, that we would typically see kind of passing through Mississippi this time of year? Yeah, so the warblers is a big group. Um, there's a lot of different species. And what's interesting about fall time is you get a lot of what we call mixed species flocks. So... Um, my my kind of general rule is if um, people know what uh, 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 chickadees are, um, and they they know the sound, and once you hear chickadees, especially if you're in the woods, if you're hunting this time of year, just in the woods enjoying it, I always pay attention in the fall and winter for sure when chickadees come through because other birds are flocking, and we call it mixed flocks, and they will flock up with chickadees and they will move through because of safety and numbers as they're moving through the forested areas. So, using some of our resident birds as indicators that maybe something may uh, randomly mix in with them. You get to see some neat, neat uh, birds that are coming through. But another bird uh, that we have some reports on, on uh, some of our uh, rare bird, or not rare bird alerts, but our bird uh, listserv, uh, uh, we have some uh, red-breasted nuthatches in the northern part of the state that have moved down through, uh, which are typically a northern uh, species that start showing up this time of year uh, in very small numbers. Uh, but we have... Uh, a counterpart to that, the white-breasted nuthatch that we see at our feeders uh, pretty commonly here in Mississippi. So I'm more used to seeing the red-breasted back from, from New York when growing up there. But um, So we have some of those that are pushing through. Again, this is a big shorebird time of year. 
Uh, the geese are, are going to snow geese, particularly in the delta areas. If you're listening, the delta areas will start showing up. So anywhere where there's going to be water um, and also green vegetation, which is hard to come by right now, um, those snow geese will probably be a little delayed this year um, until we start getting some water in the ground and, and some of the fields can kind of recover. But um, those are some of the key species this time of the year that you're looking at. Um, and then the other thing that I always like to point out this time of year, because the vegetation is kind of starting to die back and things are quieter uh, this time of year, although last night sounded like a summer night because it was so warm when I, when I was walking the dog. But um, there are resident birds that you kind of forget about. Um, they don't get to see as much uh, because they're maybe not as cryptic or there's not as much foliage out. Um, so your brown thrashers, your eastern towhees. A lot of our common birds are still here. Woodpeckers. This is a big time for our uh, uh, resident woodpeckers because you just there's so much other things going on in the summer. Other birds that you're listening to that the woodpeckers really stand out this time of year too. So your pileated, your downy, hairy woodpeckers. Um, you get some of the sapsuckers that will start moving through because I start getting calls usually this time of year uh, when uh, the sapsuckers uh, migrate through and uh, cause tree damage in the uh, backyard. So there's a lot of things that uh, that are here year-round that kind of re-poke their head out, and you can check them out. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got some open phone lines. So if you're a bird lover or interested in the birds that are here in Mississippi this time of year, uh, give us a call. Also, Dr. Major here. Uh, Dr. Major is here. So if you have a question about your pet, you can also call in. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email the show. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more creature comforts after this short break. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi Museum presenting The Beautiful Mysterious, The Extraordinary Gaze of William Eggleston, on display through January 12th, an exhibit of both color and black and white Eggleston photographs. Details at museum.olemiss.edu. For more than a year, the election has consumed the nation. I am officially running. We're president of the United States. We're going to build the wall. Women's rights are human rights. And we will human make America together. The process is rigged. Trump's hate. On November 8th, the votes will finally be counted. NPR will have live round-the-clock coverage. Join us for the results, reaction, and analysis on the big night. Tuesday at 7 on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with our guest, Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. Libby Hartfield, out for a couple of weeks. Uh, so today we are talking about the birds that you see in Mississippi this time of year. Both are resident birds, birds that are here all year, but also birds that are passing through on migration. And as I mentioned, Dr. Major here, so if you have a pet question, you can call in as well. The number is one eight seven. MPB ring. Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We do have some callers on the line. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, Adam, you have some uh, uh, things to talk about. Uh, events coming up at the museum. Yes, uh, I want to make sure to put a plug in for these events that are coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, first, on the twelfth of November is uh, the Wood Magic. Uh, uh, show that they put on uh, that's actually the extension service my forestry counterparts are going to help out at the museum that's from 11 to 12 uh, it's open for uh, I believe school groups and kids you need to call the museum to get details on that uh, but also uh, some activities that they'll learn about all the different wood products that are made in Mississippi uh, everything that a tree really provides to us uh, it's a lot of things that you don't think about it's more than just paper but you learn how to make paper um, something called bubba bazookas bubble <laughs> bazookas that's hard to say early in the morning after watching the cubs game till 12 30 last night but um it's, it's a really great event uh this uh the wood magic uh, show goes around they have a trailer that goes around the state uh, it's a lot of fun uh for kids and i've participated in, in a couple of years ago so uh, make sure to check out the museum with that and get on the list to, to, to get involved with that um a little farther down the line but start putting the bug out there on the 22nd is the good old uh, turkey tuesday event that they host every year from 10 to 12 you learn about the anatomy of turkeys their diet uh, all about their eggs and some other life behaviors that they do and you get a lot of cool crafts for the kids too on that turkey tuesday and lastly um i was scouring the the, the listers uh, to see what was going on in the bird world since we're talking about birds but uh i did find uh, that the coast audubon uh, is hosting a field trip uh on the 5th uh, coming up uh here this weekend at 7:30 at the clower thornton nature trail hopefully i pronounced that correctly in harrison county and also to remember that there's Audubon chapter meetings all over the state. So you have the, the coast, you have uh, the Piney Woods near Hattiesburg there. You've got the Jackson Audubon Society. There's an active chapter over in Meridian, and there's a couple chapters uh, in the northern part of the state too. So just type in uh, Audubon chapter uh, Mississippi, and you'll find all the different chapters that are available across the state. They do a lot of fun stuff, really s smart folks, good birders, and you can learn about uh, birding with that. And one other thing I wanted to point out real quick since I was talking about Audubon, there was a post, uh, I believe it was yesterday, the day before, there was a western tanager scene uh, at the Pascagoula River uh, Audubon Center down in Pascagoula with Mark LaSalle and his group down there. Apparently it was seen right around the office area. It's not a huge uh, property, so they saw it for a couple times uh, yesterday. They had a field trip out there. So there it's a bird that we don't always see, but got a little off track migrating, and uh, it's a good uh, good opportunity to see a bird that you don't always get to see. So check it out. All righty. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. We'll start in Mobile, as we say. Good morning to Mikey. Hello, Mikey. Oh, good morning. Um, uh, did I forget to take the speakerphone thing off? Am I okay? Yeah, you're fine. Go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, oh, yeah, you just answered something, and I was trying to get the top off of the pen, but I can't, to write down Audubon Society. That's um, 
that's what well yes thank you um my question is um in trying to make the most of the drought i'm still cleaning up after hurricane katrina believe it or not there were lots of pier type things some of them whole even washed up on my property uh, and it, 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 this is the driest I've ever seen it. Um, this, this is a, not a huge property, but it's surrounded by wetlands and canal and wide river um, mm-hmm. uh, on all four sides. Now, what I'm trying to do is trim out some of the scrub oaks and some of those things and putting them on the edges of the property. Is this a good or a bad thing um, on the, in the wetlands? On the canal. Um, I'm trying to make sure I'm following you. So, are you talking about the debris from trimming them out, or are you trying to I'm plant trees? As, as doing the pruning, uh, I'm putting those areas to build up the soil as a gardener and as, as somebody trying to conserve what I okay. can of what's left of my property. So, basically, yeah, I was actually going to talk about this later if I'm following you correctly. Basically, you're taking the yard debris and making brush piles, and over time it will break down and uh, help build up the soil, but it also it will provide shelter. So you can put that any anywhere in your yard um, that, you know, provide good viewing opportunities or if there's a specific spot that you're trying to, um, improve the the soil quality, which is important down on the coast because you guys do have such sandy soils for organic matter. Uh, that would be a good idea. Um, as far as where that relates to the canals and, and the wetlands, I'm not going to recommend that you, you you dump anything off in there. I would keep it on your property uh, just because you right. start getting into some legalities there, but um, and liabilities. So I would um, I would just focus on putting it in, in viewing areas uh, because I'll talk about that later in, in the in the uh, show today that. Building shrub uh, shrub piles or brush piles, as we call them, is a great way to create uh, habitat in the wintertime for a lot of our ground birds um, because it, it, it keeps moisture in that part of the ground but also covers a lot of cover so it can increase food supply and uh, provide cover for a lot of our ground birds. So, uh, But that, that sounds like a, a good idea. Uh, I would just keep it within your property lines. Thank All you. Right. All right, mm-hmm. Mikey, thanks for the call. Let's uh, move on next. We've got uh, Bill on the line from Greenwood. Good morning, Bill. Hey, how you all doing? Uh, I've got two questions here. Uh, first, you know, um, I would normally see the white-headed sparrow and the Junco come through here several weeks by now, but I haven't seen any of them. And I was wondering what the status is on the update on the uh, ivy-billed woodpecker. Have you heard anything hmm. about the ivy-billed woodpecker? Well, I'll take the first question uh, first because it's 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 uh, less uh, <laughs> challenging answer. So uh, the first uh, question with the juncos, dark eye juncos for um, um, juncos people use for short short, um, and also the white throated sparrows, which is a a friend of mine because I did some research on them uh, way back when in the Adirondacks where they breed um, uh, one summer. Uh, they are uh, coming into the state. I've seen some reports um, that we have uh, some folks saying they see them at their feeders in the north northern part of the state they are maybe a little uh delayed but that could be like i said there's small fluctuations every year uh, depending on weather patterns um i would hope that this rain that's coming through in this northern front this weekend that's going to cool everything off <laughs> uh, will hopefully increase uh their chances of uh, starting to come into the state so they're some of them are here, but they're they're coming. They'll be here in the next uh, couple of weeks for sure. As far as the second question goes, I haven't really kept up uh, on the Ivory Bill Woodpecker uh, situation. As far as I know, we don't have any confirmed sightings since the initial one back when I 
uh, first moved here, I believe it was 2004, 2005 time. I went to a couple events over there. Um, I really haven't heard a lot of rumblings on that. Uh, it's been more focused on trying to protect the habitat and uh, manage the habitat uh, that they were found in over in Arkansas or initially reported to be found in. Um, and uh, that's about all I know at this point uh, with that. All right, Bill, we appreciate your call. Let's go no, next to uh, Carthage. Jane has called in today. Good morning, Jane. Hi there. Hello. Go ahead. Hey, um, Adam, this is Jane. Hey, Jane. I recognize it. (laughs) (laughs) I recognize your voice, uh, and I was going to ask you, uh, my brother and brother-in-law, they're all out working on food plots, focusing on hunting season and the deer. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, wouldn't it be a great time if they could um, do something for the birds, too? Is there something that we can add to some of that... um, the, what they're throwing out to plant seeds, or is there some kind of plant or something that would be good that we could encourage uh, hunters to put out for the birds that are um, going to be here in the winter and or migrating through? Well, uh, since it's been such a dry year, they're probably really enjoying the seed that people put out a month ago, hoping for some rain. So, uh, so that's one. Uh, some folks will uh, plant, uh, and I don't remember the the date that you need to plant. It. I don't have it in front of me, but some people will plant uh, uh, a plant called chufa for uh, wild turkeys. Um, it's actually a tuber that they can scratch up. Um, but usually the the food plots that we're recommending in that situation are are geared solely towards uh, white-tailed deer. Uh, turkey and things like that but um, in the backyard setting or even on a landscape level uh, just general good land management like prescribed fire not right now everyone's under a fire ban but uh, when we can uh, prescribed fire can really encourage a lot of of uh, the plants that we're looking for for uh, birds and 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 in general good habitat uh, uh, quality for all animals, uh, but things like American beautyberry that are uh, currently in the in the woods and pretty easily uh, managed either through fire or uh, bush hogging yeah. or some forestry practice can, can provide a lot of uh, um, berry species. Um, you know, in the landscape setting, hollies. Wax myrtles, all those things are really beneficial for planting, and we also have wax myrtles in a lot. They're a native species in a lot of our uh, fringe habitats along uh, forested areas. So, those are the species I really rely on in the backyard, and a lot of them are native, and they do really good. Particularly the wax myrtle, I'm very fond of because it's a fast grower. But the uh, warbler species, particularly the the butter butts, as you guys call them down here, really like uh, uh, the berries on that. So, uh, okay. maybe I need to gather some berries and um, maybe throw some out in different areas. Then, well, you could you could look at that, or you could look, um, you know, depending on the situation on on your property, um, you know, long, more long term management uh, practices that could encourage that. There's other things you could do at a different time of year. It's just not an ideal time of year to, to do some other management. We can talk about that when I see you next time. Sure. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Good. Take care. Good to hear from you, Jane. Uh, let's move on. One more call before our next break, and it goes to Chad in Hernando. Good morning, Chad. Hi, Chad. Are you with us? I'm sorry. I need to press the button. Now we can speak to Chad. Good morning, Chad. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yes, I have a, a miniature Dotson. She's been with me about 12 years now. Uh, and she just had a checkup, and she's in perfect health, except I've noticed the last few months she's having trouble jumping up onto the couch, say, 
not so much going down, but going up, and I'm afraid she's having some trouble in her, her hips. And I was just wondering if maybe there was um, some sort of nutritional supplement I can add to her food just to help out, you know, maybe lube things up. I know there's things that work on humans. I was just wondering if there was something uh, that may help her. Right. There are quite a few products on the market uh, with uh, basically glucosamine, chondroitin, uh, MSM, uh, in a chewable uh, chunk that uh, helps some of the dogs. And uh, I won't give you a brand name because there's quite a few. Uh, and talk to your vet about that. He probably has several uh, of those in, you know, in stock. So I think it would be good to get her on something like that. If she doesn't improve with that, you need to talk to him about some other type of uh, possible medication. But okay, could you say that name, the name of that one more time? Uh, basically, the right? Glucosamine. Uh, they, it's all together. Uh, glucosamine, chondroitin, uh, MSM. Uh, sometimes they have the uh, fish oil as well with that. So uh, just pick one of those if you might want to talk to your vet and see what he has to offer. But something like that would be a good supplement, and side effects are very slim. Uh, there should not be any bad bad effects from that. Yeah, she's a, she's a small dog. Like I right. said, she just had a recent checkup, and she's, right. she's perfect in health, but... Like I said, it seems like maybe she's in a little pain. But I think you'd be wise wise to do that, okay? All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call, Chad. Need to take another break. When we get back, we've got some open phone lines ready for your questions about your pets or about some of the birds we see in Mississippi this time of year. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more of the program after this. home for live election coverage. Listen on election night for results and analysis from Mississippi's election authority, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Baseball fans in Cleveland and Chicago know all about rooting for the perennial underdog. So what happens when your hard luck team actually wins? It's like winning the lottery in a way. Uh, You have this good fortune fall upon you and you're not really sure how to adjust your identity. I'm Ari Shapiro. Advice from fans on post-curse living. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome. 
Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And our guest today, Adam Ronke, is wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. Libby Hartfield out for a couple of weeks. Uh, so today we're taking your pet questions and we're talking about birds, the kind of birds that we see moving through Mississippi this time of year, but also uh, those that are year-round residents. And if you are trying to attract birds to your backyard, uh, Adam can give you some advice on the best way to do that and, uh, you know, to make sure to be giving the birds what they need uh, uh, to help them survive through this time of year. Got some calls on the line, so let's begin again in Meridian. Lori has called in today. Good morning, Lori. Good morning. Go ahead. I have a couple of questions, and then I will hang up and listen for his answers. I have three large ponds around my house, so I don't really worry about putting water out for birds. I wondered, is the, are the ponds sufficient water for the birds? And number two, we have a small fountain that is on a recycle system, and we put bleach in it to keep the algae out. And I wondered, would the bleach hurt the birds? Because I do see them drinking from that fountain. And I will hang up and wait for his answer. All right. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Yes, thanks for the questions. Good questions. So the ponds, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's just like the natural landscape. Birds can use that a lot. Um, the only thing I would add to that, uh, uh, really, this time of year, they're probably down like everyone's ponds, so they're a little bit more accessible. But if it's a real, real clean edge, um, I would recommend maybe putting a couple uh, larger branches or something like that out there that some more of your perching birds would have better access to that open water. Um, and you could apply that same method. Uh, if anyone that's listening, like myself, that has a small backyard pond, the key thing with water is not only having it there to make sure it's fully accessible, um, meaning having perching sites where they can actually, the smaller birds can reach it um, easily, and also when in the freezing months uh, to make sure that it, it's, it's accessible in the sense that it's not ice. Um, if we get a, a cold uh, snap overnight, which I'm I'm very much praying for this year. So at 80, I'm still remembering the 85 uh, Christmas day when I had my house chock full of my whole family from New York. It was very, very warm, even inside. So, but, um, so accessibility is really important with water. So having the, the fountain and the recycler is excellent because in most cases it's not going to get cold enough here, and that's a way to keep the water moving. So that's a great, uh, you probably have a ton of birds in your backyard if we do get a cold snap like that. I wouldn't worry about the bleach. You're probably not using too much, and most of it's going to come out of the water, so to speak, pretty quickly. So, you know, unless they're, you know, right there, as soon as you're pouring the uh, bleach in, I really doubt you're going to have any issue with that. So I wouldn't worry about it. Good questions. Uh, Got another call on the line. We're going to Collins this time as Don has called in. Good morning, Don. Good morning. Glad to hear from y'all. Thank Uh, you. Appreciate y'all. I have a question about my small dog. She has halitosis real bad and bad breath. And uh, also, one paw she seems to gnaw at a lot and is pink on the paw when she gnaws to it. So I'll just hang up and listen to what you got to say for me. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, halitosis or bad breath. Okay. First thing I would do is look in the dog's mouth, uh, check the teeth. Teeth can be a very. have a very bad odor develop around them because of bacterial infection. Uh, there can be sores in the mouth that could cause this. But uh, some dogs are very, uh, what shall I say, they, gas comes from the stomach very easily as well with a lot of dogs so and cats, but you, you may be getting some odor there. But usually there's something going on with the mouth 
and uh, teeth may be the problem. Uh, so look at her mouth. Talk to your vet if you're seeing a lot of tartar buildup. And routine dental care is important uh, in our dogs because of the potential for uh, kidney problems and heart issues because of bloodborne uh, bacteria that can circulate then because of the infection around the gums and around the roots of the teeth. In dogs, a lot of times the uh, calculi will build up and you get a, uh, a reduction in the gum line and you get the roots exposed, which don't have any enamel on them. So you get teeth and begin to rot. So good thing to look at that. As far as licking the foot, it sounded like it may have been just one. A lot of dogs will start to lick because of habit. Uh, a light-colored dog, you can see it real easily because it usually turns pink because of the saliva. Uh, as long as there's not a sore there, may be difficult to uh, stop from doing this. But uh, a, some of the dogs develop what's called a lick granuloma. Uh, another word is acral dermatitis, but a lick granuloma and can have quite a bad sore there. Sometimes this is due to either arthritis or a wound that has happened to that particular foot. Uh, so I would suggest uh, a trip to the vet if you have not been there to check out that foot, but also to check out maybe a possible cause for the bad breath. You know, also, I guess uh, you, you mentioned, you know, checking out your dog's mouth, and I would imagine if it's very reluctant to, that might even indicate a problem. And if he is real nervous about someone going in his mouth, that might indicate that there's some pain or problem there that, that, that needs to be further looked into. Right. A lot of times uh, when, you know, examining at the clinic, a, a dog will react to the fact that you're trying to open his mouth and touching his gums there. And uh, they can have pain and can be quite quite painful, of course. And some some dogs or cats will stop eating uh, very, especially hard food, simply because they have pain in that mouth. Uh, we're going to another phone call this time. It's uh, from Sabrina in Yazoo County. Good morning, Sabrina. Good morning. I have a birding question for you. Okay. So about ten days ago, I was out uh, doing some driving and birding uh, north of the Yazoo River, out in the Delta. And I recognized the vocalization of the horned lark and uh, looked out there and saw three of them browsing. I was so surprised to look in Sibley and learn that they occur here in the winter. That was news to me. And I'm wondering how abundant they are. Um, they can be patchy, but, yeah, it's it's uh, common's probably a strong, strong word. But uh, we get lots of reports of them. Um, I'm on a couple listservs with some other birders across the the state, and uh, some folks have said they've they've heard them or they see them quite often uh, in the winter. Um, you also see um, a lot of our meadowlarks too uh, in the winter time and and kind of uh, you know overwintering uh, ag fields. Although flutter up as you drive by on the gravel road and things like that. So yes, it's uh, relatively common and it's a good good spot, especially since everything's a little delayed this year moving down. So uh, not many people would be paying that close of attention. So good job on that. Thank That's you. a good good bird to see. <laughs> do you know if they're occur? You know when people are seeing them. Do you know if they're usually seeing them in you know small flocks of three to five, or are they seeing them in large flocks like out west when you would see you know ten, twenty, thirty together? Uh, that's you know that's a good uh, good question. We would get them in New York too, and they tend to be in larger flocks. And every once in a while, you get lucky with uh, snow buntings. Which if we get that here in Mississippi, we've got one great winter coming. That would be awesome. But um, I can't 
uh, off the top of my head, I couldn't s- say that for, for sure. But um, I have heard of the three to five, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe in the northern part of the state we would see in larger numbers. But I don't have those numbers right in front of me. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Sabrina. Let's. Uh, we've got some open phone lines, by the way. If you have a pet question for Dr. Major or if you have a question about the birds we see in Mississippi this time of year, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Next up on the line, Jim has called in from Gluckstadt. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's your question? Good. Uh, a question for Dr. Majors. Uh, I just got my Pomeranian back from my veterinarian. Uh, he was uh, in ICU for two days because he had pneumonia, and one of his lungs uh, was not working. Uh, of course, they put him on uh, some medicine there, and we had, uh, have some antibiotics now at home. He's home. But my question is, how would a dog get pneumonia, and then uh, how would you prevent uh, a dog from getting pneumonia? Good question. But uh, first of all, uh, how do people get pneumonia? Uh, same thing. You can't predict why. Usually it might start out as a tracheobronchitis. I don't know if uh, this dog was coughing prior to that. Uh, yeah. tracheobronchitis could lead on to a pneumonia. Uh, difficult to know what organism was involved. Uh, there are many, and I don't know if your vet told you, but there, it's difficult to isolate the organism a lot of times. And I'm sure that they gave antibiotic, uh, and you said, I believe it was in like ICU for a while, yes. uh, and supplemental oxygen. Uh, did the radiographs indicate improvement? Uh, with the lung? Yes, uh, a small improvement, but he yeah. thought that he could uh, finish uh, at home uh, in that right. process. How old is this dog? He's been passed around. Uh, <laughs> we got him. We, we think he's probably about eight okay. right now. Okay. And does he have any underlying health conditions, such as a heart condition or anything like that? Not the window, okay. no. Okay. I'd be concerned that there might have been some other condition that uh, could have uh, potentiated this. But it sounds like he's doing better. But as far as being able to avoid it, uh, an animal that's in good health, in general, there's not uh, spread of pneumonia from dog to dog, for example, or dog to person. So uh, I can't tell you exactly where this particular case came from as far as the disease. I'm glad he's doing better, though, and that's great. And uh, hope for the best with that. All right. Well, I appreciate your uh, your answer. Thank you. Thanks for your call, Jim. Time for one final break this hour. When we get back, we've got some folks on the line. Ready to, we'll be ready to take your questions after this final break. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about the birds you see in Mississippi this time of year. And Dr. Major is here, ready to take any pet question that you might have. Back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this.
From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, who will be the next president of the United States? Hillary Clinton? I will do everything that I can to make sure that you have good jobs with rising incomes. Or Donald Trump? We are going to make America strong again, and we are going to make America great again, and it has to start now. The race for the White House is in its final lap. Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones break down the candidates on At Issue this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest today is Adam Ronke, a wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. Libby Hartfield is out for the next couple of weeks. Today, we're talking about uh, the birds you see in Mississippi this time of year and also answering your pet questions. Uh, Still a little bit of time left in the show and some open phone lines. So if you have a question, go ahead and give us a call right now. The number is one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go back to the phone lines. We start again in Collar Collierdsville. Bob's on the line. Good morning, Bob. Go ahead. Hello. I was just uh, you were talking about the flea infestations, and I had a simple non-toxic uh, way to help that. Uh, if you use a nightlight like you plug in the wall, mm-hmm. it's a small nightlight. Place a pan of water underneath it with a little uh, dishwashing detergent in it. Turn out all your lights at night, and those fleas will go to that light and jump at it and fall in the water and drown. In a few days, you'll see a diminished number of fleas in there each day. They're all gone. So I thought uh, that would be a quick and easy way and cheap way to help rid your house of fleas. All right. Appreciate your call. A uh, good suggestion there, Bob. And I know uh, that sometimes um, um, you can also, uh, maybe with a kitten, I know that when uh, my, my kitten, who was adopted uh, from, we actually found him outside here, and I know the person that rescued him used uh, dishwashing liquid to help uh, get some of the fleas off of there. So I guess it's kind of a, a mild way, not certainly the best method of uh, flea protection, but it certainly helps out. And I, that sounds interesting. You certainly think the fl- fleas would uh, go to the light, but uh, they would find themselves uh, jumping into the water and, and meet with an untimely demise. So, <laughs> uh, let's go next to uh, Kim's on the line from uh, Bay St. Louis. Good morning, Kim. Hey, good morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. What do you have for us? Good. I also have a Pomeranian question. Um, I have a little man who is almost five years old, and over the last two years, he has been steadily losing hair off of his back haunches, um, almost to where he has you know, naked spots on on his bottom, and it's not sore. The skin is healthy. It is a bit darker in complexion. We've checked his thyroid. He's normal. It's a bit low normal. Um, And so my go-to after doing some Google searches is black skin disease, and I'm curious what the doctor might think about that, what other things we might investigate, uh, because we're kind of at a standstill at this point. Okay, questions. Is, Is this puppy neutered? He is. Yeah. And uh, if you'll, 
uh, talk to, you know, talk to your veterinarian about this. I'm sure you have, but of course, there yeah. are there are some uh, special conditions for Pomeranians that we see, and we see, and some of them the skin will actually turn black. Uh, they may lose all the hair except for around their head, uh, and it look like they're hairless except for a very nice uh, hair coat uh, around the head and ears, but. Uh, as far as something to do for this, I, w- I would suggest seeing a specialist if you haven't already. Uh, Dr. Gunner at Mississippi State is excellent as far as skin conditions. And uh, I would suspect that it would be good to get her in, uh, get this puppy in to see her. Uh, as far as me telling you something to do without seeing it, it'd be difficult, but there are conditions that are specific. Seems like two Pomeranians, and I, I would certainly uh, see if there's anything that can be done. All righty. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, move next. We've got uh, Dot on the line from Leland. Good morning, Dot. Good morning. Thank- I enjoy the program. have a bird question. Uh, about three weeks ago, we had a grosbeak speak in the yard, and usually we don't see them uh, until after Christmas, January, February, and I didn't know if that was related to what the man said earlier about the uh, cool front if they might might have come through early because of that or it was just it just seems early uh, you, uh, I'm assuming you're referring to the rose-breasted uh, yeah. grosbeak. speak. Yes, yeah. I actually had a couple push through um, during that cold front uh, that you're referring to uh, about three weeks ago, and that's a, that's about on time. If you're getting them later than that, then you definitely have some uh, neat things going on in Leland. So, uh, well, in the Delta, it's in. Um, oh yeah, I know where you are. Okay. I, I've been there several times. Um, but yeah, that's about the right time of year for them to come through, um, and you can hear the, hear their uh, little chip note that uh, is pretty. Uh, identifiable typically before you see them, especially in the, in the fall migration. So that's about the right time to see them, and I'm uh, glad that uh, not everyone uh, pays attention. So we got some attentive uh, listeners today. All right. Well, enjoy the program. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Dot, for your call. Let's uh, move next. We're going to Hattiesburg. Rod has called in today. Good morning, Rod. Good morning. Go ahead. I have a um, seven-and-a-half-week-old Yorkie food, and I know he's under one pound in I was concerned about he has a lot of fleas on him, and then I was told that he couldn't give him a bath. I was wondering, what can you give him? Well, you got to choose between having the puppy eaten up by fleas uh, or uh, giving him a bath. Certainly you can give him a bath using something mild. Uh, okay. On the other hand, I would talk to your vet. There is a product called Revolution uh, okay. that is safe for puppies and kittens, even that small. Okay. And uh, I would suggest that probably, uh, especially if you got a lot of fleas, that that would be the thing to go with. So talk to your vet about that. But Revolution uh, is approved for puppies and kittens uh, in okay. that in that range. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Ron. And a Yorkie, I guess, is a cross between a Yorkie and a poodle. Should be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, would, I would call it a, a, a pootie, maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're braver than I am. I was sitting here cross-eyed. I was wondering what that was. But there, there, there are plenty of Yorkie poos out there. Okay. Uh, we got this last call on the line, and it is Sam from Madison. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, my question is a real quick one. I saw a big white wading bird flying uh, in Madison a couple of days ago, and it looked a lot more like a wood stork maybe than an egret or a heron that would sort of hold its neck in an S-curve while it was flying. I was wondering if that was possible. 
So it had it had an S uh, uh, curve on its neck when it was flying. It did not. It did his not. Neck okay. Was straight out, and his legs were uh, kind of hanging a little lower than you would see in maybe a, a great blue heron or an, or an egret. Okay. Well, um, yeah. If you didn't see that distinctive uh, curve in the neck, um, you've you've pretty much described it very well. It may be a rather late uh, woodstock, but it is unseasonally warm too. So we may have a random one there. I know we've got a lot of experienced birders in that area. So if anyone else has seen it, it'd be great to to point that out. Where was it in Madison? Uh, near the airport. Near the airport. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll reach out to some folks see if anyone else has seen it, but. Um, yeah, it, it uh, you you pointed out the key characteristics that you're looking for, so that very well may have been what it was. Great, thanks. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for your call, Sam. Uh, Adam, we got about a minute left. One thing you said earlier that I thought was interesting was the idea of mixed flocks. So mm-hmm. I guess is that sort of just a natural thing that these birds know that they're not predators of each other so they're as bending the other i guess you said it's kind of strength in numbers yeah it's strength in numbers uh and it, it tends to happen a lot uh in in the fall and because in the fall what's different with than from the spring is you have a lot of juvenile birds too so um even within species uh different uh different age birds will leave at different times um and the same happens in in the spring so but it seems to be a lot more uh, of the case where you get a lot of mixed flocks in the fall i think for that reason and probably other reasons um that I just I don't have uh, in my head this morning, but uh, uh, but it seems to be very common uh, in in the fall time. But that's always a kind of a trick that I've used when I'm leading uh, bird groups. That if if you pay attention and hear chickadees, I always I have this phrase: chickadees bring friends. So if you hear chickadees, they tend they tend to group up, and that can carry all the way through winter too. For some of our overwintering, uh, like kinglets and things like that, you get to see some neat things with with chickadees. All right. Uh, That's going to wrap us up for today. Adam will be back with us next Thursday. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Funding is provided in part by the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science Foundation and contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Jonas Adams, and our call screener today was Sherita Brent. For Dr. Troy Major and our guest, Adam Ronke, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. That's followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.